news headlines, why are they full of stories like that? One, one answer might be that the news people are just too negative and they're choosing to report on all the nasty stuff and if they just found the good stories, then would be all right. Now, there might be something to that. That might be kind of true. Maybe there is better stuff they could say. But the fact is, newsrooms all over Australia and all over the world have a constant, steady flow of stories just like those ones. And so every day they can turn up and say, here's the news for today. These terrible things all happened. The reason there are so many stories like that in the news day in, day out is because our world is full of stories like that day in, day out. In fact, our world is full of suffering. And we know this as well from our own lives. Um, The longer you live, the more you'll work this out. We have our own stories that don't really make the headlines very often unless something really, really terrible or unusual happens. But our stories are just as real and just as painful and just as, as, as hard to deal with. We suffer too. We have our stories. A teenager struggles with depression and thinks about suicide. Two-year-long relationship ends in a really bad breakup. High school student gets deserted by all their friends and has no one at school. Girl's brother gets really sick and, and maybe he'll die. Healthy girl thinks that she's fat, even though she's not, and develops an eating disorder. Another family gets ripped apart by divorce. We've all got these stories, and they don't make the news, but they're they're, they're serious things. They rip our our lives apart. The suffering is real, and it's hard. And so the question that we want to ask tonight and we want to figure out is this. Why? Why does suffering happen? Now, guys, this is a big question. It's a, it's a huge question. I reckon this is a question that I, I don't think I've really met anyone in life who hasn't asked this question about life before. It is a massive question. And it's, and, and it's, an, it's a question that there's answers to, but it's not an easy question to answer because the answers are complex and they come from all different angles and there's a whole bunch of things you need to understand. It's a bit like asking the question, why does cancer happen? Right? What causes cancer? Because there's answers to that, but it's pretty complex. You'd say, oh, well, cancer's caused by too much UV rays, and then you get skin cancer. But also, cancer's caused if you have a really bad diet, and you might get bowel cancer. And also, radiation causes cancer, and also, genetic predisposition within your family causes cancer. And also, like, getting old causes cancer, standing too long causes cancer, sitting too... And there's just all these different things that cause cancer. When you really start to dig into it, it's a very complex answer, and you can't just say, oh, it's, it's meat. meat co-. You know, there's heaps of things that cause cancer. And so why does suffering happen? Well, that's a big question. And there's a whole bunch of different angles and ways you can look at this question. And we're not going to be able to look at every single possible angle that you might want to look at tonight. But there's some good answers to be found in the Bible. We're going to look at some big things to do with this question as to why suffering happens. I'm going to pray to God that he'd actually help us to understand this stuff tonight and and. And, and help us to, to dig through a really difficult question. So if, if you want to pray with me, please do. Um, Father God, uh, Lord, there's people here tonight who are at all different places with you, uh, but it's a fair thing to say that we all want to know why. We want to we know why the world is the way it is, and we want to know why suffering happens. And so, God, we pray that for all of us here tonight, you'd make that clear. Thank you that you do speak to us in the Bible. And we pray that you might do that right now for us. 
right, now before we dive into the question of why suffering happens, there's one little thing I want you guys to notice in this passage, and it's about the idea of questioning questions for God altogether. And here's the thing I want you guys to notice. It's okay to ask why. It's okay to ask all sorts of hard questions of God. Because often as we talk about stuff like this, I reckon sometimes, not all of us, but some of us will feel like maybe it's a little bit rude for us to ask these kind of questions and ask hard things from God and say, well, God, why did you do this? Or why do, and, and, we, and we feel like it's a bit rude and we might offend the Christians or we might offend God um, if he's there. And so we wonder if this is the kind of thing we're supposed to be doing, kind of really grabbing God and saying, God, why are things like they are? But according to the model put out in this passage, at least, it's very clear that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask why. Check out what this guy, um, David, asks of God. He says, chapter, uh, verse 1 there, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. And so this guy's got some serious questions for God. You can see from the rest of the passage as we dig into the details that he's going through some hectic stuff. His life is falling apart, and we'll look at the details of that in a second. But as this happens, as his world closes in and everything starts to crash down around him, this guy turns to God and he's going, God, why? God, what are you doing? Why have you forsaken me? Because he feels like God's deserted him in this hard time. He says, why haven't you saved me from this yet? Because he feels like God's not doing anything to fix the terrible problem he's in. And he even says, God, why don't you answer me now? I'm crying out to me and I'm not hearing anything. Because he feels like God has just left him alone and deserted him in his suffering. And so it's a simple point before we move on. But here it is. Guys, it's okay to ask why. It's okay to feel like that. And it's okay to cry out to God and go, God, what, what the heck's going on? That's an, that's an okay thing to do. And God gives answers to these questions. He gives answers in, in this particular part of the Bible and he gives them in lots of other parts of the Bible as well. So let's look at some of those answers to the question of why. Here's the first thing. Suffering is caused by sinful people in a broken world. That's one of the big things that causes suffering. See, in this, in this passage right here, this guy's problems, this guy's suffering, is most directly caused by people doing really terrible stuff to him. Check out verse 6 to 8 up on the screen or in your Bibles if you've got them. Check out what these people have been doing to this guy. He's going through a terrible time and look at what happens. He says, I'm like a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me... <laughs> They mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And so this guy's going through a terrible time. His life's falling apart and the people around him are mocking him for it. They're laughing at him. They're going, look at this sucker who's having this bad stuff go on. Well, why doesn't God save you then? They're sarcastically ripping him off and, and rubbing salt in his already raw wounds. It's pretty terrible, evil kind of behavior, isn't it, really? But it's not just that these people in this guy's life are saying bad things to him. They're actually doing bad things to him. They're physically harming him in some way. Check out verses 12 to 16. This is using like poetic language, and it's talking about the people around him like they're wild animals who are like hunting him, hunting him and stuff. Check it out, verse 12. Many bulls 
surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey. Open their mouths wide against me. So he's got these people who are like wild animals hunting him and encircling him and so on. And they're messing him up. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint and my heart has turned to wax. It's melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. So he feels like he's just giving away. He's just almost given up in his heart. He's like melted. He's just, his spirit's broken inside because of all this terrible stuff that's going, for, going on for him. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. So this guy's just having a really, really bad time. But the reason he's having a bad time is because of sinful people in a broken world. See, remember those, all those news stories that we looked at at the start? They were just the first 10 news stories that I found. How many of those headlines were about people who were suffering because other people had sinned and done terrible things to them? Heaps of them. Remember the stories? Shots fired at a woman at a bus stop. That's a sinful person shooting another person. Woman dies after being struck by a motorbike. I don't know what went on there, but it could be that someone was doing something reckless. Thieves terrorized diners. Teen charged with murder after street shooting. Um, two arrested after riot brawl death. Someone gets killed in a bar fight. All those things are because sinful people have done terrible things to another person. And so, in a very direct sense, suffering is caused by sinful people in a broken world. But not only does sin cause suffering when one person shoots another person or does something terrible or says something terrible, sin causes suffering because sin has actually broken our entire world. Back at the start of the Bible in Genesis, it talks about the fact that when sin entered our world for the very first time, it was like a a nuclear bomb that ripped throughout the fabric of our world and bent our world out of shape. And so what was once a good place, free from suffering, is now torn apart so that even creation itself is twisted and bent and messed up so that even just the creation around us, excluding people, is now a place of suffering. And so now, because of sin and the damage that it's done to our creation, the world itself is a broken place. And so tsunamis kill people and fires burn out of control and kill people and floods happen and and all these things happen just in nature alone because sin has ruined us and it's ruined the world around us. And so sin causes suffering. And guys, in a group of people this big here tonight, if, if we're all honest enough with each other, we'd work out pretty quickly that there's a whole bunch of hurt that's happened here in this room just for the people who are sitting here. And the sad reality is that I imagine a lot of that hurt has come from things that other people have done to you. Other times that people have hurt you, said things to you, done things to you, not done things when they should have. People have done things in all of our lives that lead to suffering. It sucks, (laughs) but we know it's true. But the other thing is, it actually cuts both ways. Because we have done things to other people that's hurt them as well. We may not like to think about the fact that we've done this, but if we think hard enough about it, I'm sure we can work out that there's things that we've done in our lives that have actually caused suffering for other people. We hurt people. We fight. 
we lie, we gossip, we betray people, we, we physically injure people, we say things that just tear people apart. We do all sorts of stuff that hurts the people around us and we cause suffering all over the place. And so sin is caused by sinful people in a sinful world and that's why we suffer all sorts of things. But we do that to others as well. There's one part of the picture of why suffering happens because of sin. It's heavy stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's heavy. I reckon it's heavy. But there's more to it. There's another factor in this whole idea of why suffering happens. And it's not something that contradicts that first idea. It's something that kind of lies over the top of that first idea that, sin is uh, that suffering is caused by sin. And here it is. It's another reason it doesn't contradict it, but it kind of blends in over the top of it and around it. Here's the second thing that this passage shows us. God is actually in control of suffering. God's in control of suffering. Now, that's a big thing to say. That's a huge thing to say. That's something that a lot of Christians actually want to deny because it's just too hard to get your head around. <laughs> I mean, if, if God is good... <laughs> and he's in control of suffering, then why the heck does he let it happen in the first place? It raises all sorts of questions for us, and we might deal with some of those questions tonight. But before we do, I want us to see in the Bible that this is actually a true thing, that God, the good God of the world who created everything, that he's actually in control of suffering. So let's look at this passage first of all. Check it out up on the screen. Verse 1. Remember, this guy's going through all this terrible stuff. Sinful people are doing bad things to him. And so look at what he says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? God, I cry out to you, but you do not answer and so on. And so the point is, in his suffering that's caused by the sinful people around him, this guy turns to God and he says, God, why haven't you done something about this? God, why haven't you stopped it? God, why haven't you saved me from it? Because he knows that God is in control of it that God can rescue him from it, that God can do something about it. See, it's a funny thing, isn't it? None of us have, if, if we believe in God, I don't reckon any of us have a problem with the idea that we would ask God to rescue us from something bad. If something bad's going on in our life and we believe in God, the first thing, well, the first thing we should do is we go, well, God, please do something about this bad thing. I want you to change the situation and rescue me from it. So we all agree that we want to ask God to help us out when, stuff, when stuff's going bad. But lots of us are very uncomfortable with the idea that God might be in control of the suffering we experience. But what use would it be to ask God to help us if he wasn't in control of it? How can God do anything about our suffering and help us in any way at all unless he actually has control over what's going on around us? And so God is in control of everything, even suffering. You can see that. God is in control of everything in a few other verses in this passage. Check out verses 9 and 10 up on the screen as well. Check this out. God's in control of everything. Look at this. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. And so this is saying that God was in control of what was going on, even when this guy was being born as a little baby. <laughs> as he was coming out of his mother's womb, God was in control. God was there. God was there making him trust him even as a little kid. 
And if these verses aren't clear enough for you, look at some other verses outside of Psalm 22 really quickly. Check out up on the screen. Look at this. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. When times are good, be happy. (laughs) But when times are bad, consider this other thing. God has made one as well as the other. God has made good times and the bad times. Crazy bug flying at me. Or another verse, Amos chapter 3, verse 6. Check this one out. When a trumpet sounds in a city because people are going to attack it, do not the people tremble. When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? The answer is yes. It's a, it's a rhetorical question. God is in control when, when bad things happen. He stands over it. Not in the same way. He's not involved in it in the same way that evil, sinful people are as they do terrible things and, and attack people and wound people and intend evil in these things. It's not like that. But God is still in control of it all and stands over the top of it all. God is in control of suffering. In fact, God's in control of everything is what the Bible says. Now, my guess is that this might raise a few questions for you guys. It's good to have questions. If you've got those questions, remember them, sit on them and ask them later on. Um, I reckon one of the big questions you've got to be asking from this is this. What the heck is God doing? All right. God's supposed to be good. He's in control so he can make happen what he wants to have happen. And yet suffering still happens. So what is the deal with that? What, what the heck is God doing? If he can stop suffering, then why doesn't he do it? Why doesn't God stop all the suffering in the world right now? How come he just doesn't just put an end to it this minute? What is God doing that he'd leave us in a world and continue to suffer as we do? Well, remember before we were talking about this stuff, we said that suffering is caused by two interconnected things. It's caused by sinful people in a broken world, and, it's, and, it's, and there's also a God who stands in control over that. And so if God, the one who's in control of everything, if that God were to end suffering, what would he need to do? He'd need to get rid of the sin. God wants to end suffering, get rid of sin. How does God get rid of sin? Well, the Bible says the way that God's going to deal with sin ultimately is that he's going to get rid of sinners. (laughs) He's going to judge sin. He's going to come back and he is going to put the world right and he's going to end all the suffering, but he'll do it by bringing judgment on the people who've caused all the suffering in the first place. And so getting rid of suffering means getting rid of us the sinners. And so suddenly, this idea of let's make God stop all the suffering right now, it sounds a little bit less appealing because we go, oh, you know, you know what I mean? Imagine like, you know, something terrible's going on and you're watching something unfold and you're like, who the heck put these towels on the floor? What an idiot. The person who did this should be shot. And then your friend's like, you put those towels on the floor. And you're like, ooh, yeah, no, well, let's, come on, give him a break. You know, that's what it's like. We want God to deal with it and get rid of all the suffering until we realize that, we're the problem. We're the ones who've done it in the, first th- in the first place. And so God leaving the world as it is, God not yet coming back and stopping the suffering right now, is actually God being incredibly gracious to us as he waits for us to come back to him. And he's not going to wait forever, but for a time he's very gracious. 
for leaving the world as it is for a, a bit longer. Because when he does, it will mean judgment for the people who cause suffering. Now, I reckon at this point, you guys have still got questions. It's a little bit like we've got a big old can of worms and we like just rip the top off it and all the worms are spilling out everywhere. And, like, and there's all these, like, it feels like there's a can of worms in your brain. You're just like, oh man, there's lots of things that's been said here. But didn't God make, in, in, and, and you're just freaking out because of all these different questions you've got. And that's all right. But I reckon, and, and so I can't deal with every little loose end that's probably going on in your mind right now. If you've got questions, that's good. Ask me, ask other leaders here tonight. Talk about this stuff, that's good. But I reckon there's some big loose ends that we need to tie up tonight before we're done with this topic, all right? There's at least two big questions we've got to deal with. First of all, guys, if all that we've said is true, we've got to deal with this question. If God is angry at sin and the fact that we've caused all this suffering in the world, we've got to deal with the fact that God is angry with us and we need to work out how to deal with God's anger at what we've done. We need, we need to work out what to do with judgment. Secondly, though, we do need to work out what comfort there is for us as we suffer now and wait for the world to be made perfect. You know, what comfort is there in all this stuff? It just sounds pretty heavy. Sure, God's going to end the world one day and, and sin will be dealt with, but until then, man, this just kind of sucks. Well, here's the last thing that this passage has to say, and I reckon it deals with both of those questions. It's a pretty incredible thing. Here it is. God has suffered more than any of us to save us. God has wounds. Isn't that amazing? The creator of the universe, the one who rules everything, the one who controls everything, the one who, whatever he wants to have happen, has that happen. That God has intentionally chosen to enter into our world in the person of Jesus and suffer. And now carries around wounds because of it. This passage, Psalm 22, that we're looking at tonight, was written about a thousand years before Jesus. About, and it's written by a guy called David, right? Um, but the suffering of this guy, David, in Psalm 22, resembles Jesus' suffering on the cross in the most incredible way. It's amazing to see how Psalm 22, written a thousand years before Jesus, is fulfilled in Jesus' death at the end of his life. The quickest way to see this is to look at the screen. And you'll see like um, little excerpts of Mark 15, which is an account of Jesus' death on the cross, and little excerpts of Psalm 22. And as you read through it, you can see what's going on there. Check out um, Mark 15. They put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. And again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and they spat on him. And so as Jesus was killed on the cross, he was surrounded by a gang of evil men and they killed him on a cross. They drove nails through his hands and his feet and strung him up and mocked him. Read on. They crucified him, dividing up his clothes and they cast lots to see which, what each would get. Check out down the bottom of Psalm 22 there. It says that they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Same idea. So what's going on there is back in the day, clothes were really expensive because material was really expensive. So when you like executed someone, they're like shoddy the socks, I'm having the undies, and they're like fighting over his clothes and they're dividing it up because that's what they did with Jesus as well. And then later on it says, those who passed by hurled insults at him. They, 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 those, cruci oh yeah, those crucified with him also heaped insults on him as well. 
Look over at Psalm 22. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. If you trust in God, why doesn't God save him? It's the same thing. They're circling around him, hurling insults at him, making fun of him. And then read on at the end there. This is the last thing that Jesus says as he died. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice in a different language. He says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sakbachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They were Jesus' last words. And they're the identical words to the start of Psalm 22. Because as Jesus dies, he's crying that out. And he's telling the people around him, I'm the guy from Psalm 22. This is me. I'm the one who suffers. I'm the one who's insulted. I'm the one who's killed. I'm the one who's got nails driven through their hands and their feet. And I'm doing it to save you. And he cries out because God at that point has actually forsaken Jesus. God's turned his back on Jesus and he's judging Jesus. This is God himself, the ruler of the world, entering into our world and suffering and being wounded for us. So what comfort do we have when we suffer in this life now? Well, for starters, if you follow Jesus, you have a God who gets it. Jesus really understands what it means to suffer. He gets it, he understands, and he cares about you. He cares deeply about you, enough, in fact, to suffer for you like this. Because Jesus' death on the cross isn't just a way which he identifies with us. It's more than just an identification with us. Jesus' death on the cross, the Bible says, is actually a substitution for us. Jesus dies as a substitute in our place. <clears throat> See, it's almost as if when Jesus is dying on the cross, God looks at Jesus and sees our sin on him and judges Jesus instead of us. And so Jesus is the one who bears God's anger at our sin instead of us, if we trust Jesus to be the one who pays for our sin. It's a little bit like the movie The Hunger Games, right? Um, where you've got that classic scene where, you know, they're looking for a tribute to fight in The Hunger Games, and they're like, all right, we pull a person's name out of a hat or whatever, and they've got to fight a whole bunch of teenagers with swords. And they pull out, like, this six-year-old girl's name called Primrose, and they're like, Primrose is tribute. And she's like a little girl, and she's like, I'm going to get killed by teenagers. And so Katniss steps forward, and she goes, I volunteer as tribute. I'll fight in the Hunger Games, leave my sister, I'll do it instead. Katniss is a substitute for a little sister Primrose. Jesus is a substitute for us. Not for some crazy, weird, apocalyptic game thing, but he's a substitute for us as he takes God's anger at our sin on himself. And so the promise of the Bible, guys, is that if we trust Jesus, have him as our Lord and Saviour, we're forgiven. We're forgiven for the way we've rejected our king. We're forgiven for the way we've caused all sorts of suffering in the world and, and done all sorts of terrible things to other people. We're forgiven if we trust Jesus. Now, guys, you may still have questions about this stuff. That's cool if you do. Talk to me, talk to someone else here. That'll be a really good thing to do tonight. Make use of the time. But in all your questions and things that are still not clear for you, don't miss the most important thing that's been said tonight. Because the most important question tonight really isn't why does suffering happen or why doesn't God stop all the suffering right now, but actually how can I be forgiven for all the suffering that I've caused in the world? And the answer is Jesus. So a really good question to think about tonight is this one. <laughs> What's stopping you from putting your trust in Jesus? 
why wouldn't you take Jesus up on that offer of a free pardon, free forgiveness if you'd trust him, follow him as your Lord?